As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Well, hello and welcome to Matters of Life and Death. Um, Thanks for joining us today. As always, I'm Tim Wyatt and I'm joined by my dad, John Wyatt. Hi, Dad. Hi, Tim. Good to be here. And we're really excited today to have a guest uh, joining us as well, uh, Tim Farron, MP. Um, Tim, thanks so much for coming on the show. Would you, would you mind by starting just quickly introducing yourself to those who haven't heard of you before? Who am I? Well, I'm, I'm Tim Farron, and I am the Member of Parliament for Westmoreland and Lonsdale, which, if that means anything to anybody, it is South Cumbria. It's the Lake District, but the Yorkshire Dales. Kendall is our big town. Uh, I've been the MP since 2005. I'm a Liberal Democrat. I was the party's president during our time in the coalition government and the party leader for uh, the parliament just after that. Brilliant. Um, well, we're really pleased to have you, such an experienced and interesting kind of Christian voice in parliament, in politics, to, to join us for this conversation. We wanted to start by talking about social media in politics. I don't know if you saw a story that was done by the BBC a few weeks ago, Tim, which was um, the kind of top line was that more than 3000 offensive tweets are sent to UK members of parliament every day. Um, this was an analysis of 3 million tweets aimed at MPs over a six week period. And it found that about 130,000. So that's one in 20 would be classified as toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, what it does that chime with your own experience? You're quite a kind of kind of prominent on social media, shall I say, or, or a big user? Do, mm. do you get inundated with with kind of hateful, abusive messages? It all depends. Uh, so I, I, do, I think that women politicians get more grief than mm. men. That definitely is the case. And, and indeed, people who belong to other minorities get uh, grief as well. I think that there's a co- that it depends on what we mean by toxic. I mean, people saying things where they wildly disagree with you uh, using sometimes quite colourful language is, would I call that toxic? It's not you know, it's not a thing I'd like to do myself, but, you know, that, that's being challenged. Then there's stuff that which is just downright abusive. And then there's the stuff that's violent. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the over the years, there have been tweets that I've received uh, at other and other communications that the police have considered to be a, a direct threat. And but I I think that on a daily basis, I don't feel I get that. Um, but there's a I suppose, as I say, I'm not a woman. I'm not a party leader these days, so I don't tend to cause quite the same amount of offence as I did (laughs) Um, um, and wind people up. But uh, also, I kind of hope that as a, A, having done it for a long time, and B, as a Christian, that it's not water for a duck's back at all, but that I may be able to just 
deal with it in a way which is is relatively healthy, but that does not make it all right. Mm. And and why do you think politicians in particular have become such kind of an easy target for this? I mean, obviously, social media is can be quite toxic in other areas, but it seems like politics is a particularly kind of febrile, yes. toxic atmosphere. So I think, I mean, we've the danger with all social media is that we live in bubbles and we think the bubble that we're in is the world and it's not. Mm. Twitter is particularly attuned to people talking about, um, uh, you know, public events of one kind or another, you know, shared events and politics right at the heart of it. And very often you will talk critically um, angrily about issues and who are the people at the heart of those issues who are responsible for either sorting or not sorting out problems or causing problems it's the political operators the actors themselves so i think it's kind of understandable that we will be at the center of things but people who are um you know uh, in in high profile media personalities and, and and the like sports people they also attract um a level of sort of derision and attention which is not always healthy but it's it is a window on what it's like for a lot of young people in the social media that they use and the scrutiny that um uh, i see in my life is kind of in a microcosmic way uh, something that every 13 14 year old in the country deals with in a smaller way you know when i was 13 or 14 or 15 or 16 and I made a fool of myself over a girl or whatever like six people knew about it and it was shameful or whatever but I got through it now the world knows about it and we're not not built for that so I I potentially professionally am kind of you know have the resilience to a degree to deal with it but the other people don't and younger people especially don't and we wonder why there's an epidemic of mental health problems in our society you know Andy Warhol said in the future everyone will be famous for 15 minutes he was way out way off everybody in the future everyone's famous all the blinking time and they're therefore a performer all the time to be judged and to be scrutinized all the time to be shamed all the time so you know what i deal with is just what kids are dealing with all of the time now so tim can i ask you i'm, I'm really interested in this because <clears throat> you, you're you've been around a long time like me and therefore you you must have done your early political career long before social media existed so what was it like then i mean what how did communication with the great general public happen did you get sort of letters with green ink or yeah (laughs) yeah well i mean so one of the things that i feel most blessed about in my political life was i joined the liberals one day at sixth form in my first couple of weeks there the guy who signed me up happily connected me with what i will call a a little a bunch of little old methodist liberal ladies from leyland who were the ones who (laughs) ran with local councillors and their team of helpers and it was a way of life to these people, but serving people, um, you know, face to face, not just waiting for election time, but getting out and knocking on doors and listening to people, holding street stores and all the rest of it. And the public were encouraged to get in touch with this you know, band of, um, of, of local councillors and their helpers. And so there was a there's that kind of face to face stuff, which I do a lot of still. You know, I will knock on doors every week somewhere um, and, uh, you know, often without asking how they're going to vote. We just want to know what they're thinking about issues. And and so face to face 
uh, is the best thing still. Um, you know, people will apologize to me when they come up to me in the supermarket and tell me stuff and or ask me things for doing so. And I say, look, if people stop doing this, then I've got something to worry about. Um, <laughs> and so, so no, the old school forms of communication were very, very effective and I did the job. I think what social media does, in, in particular Twitter, but other things as well, they, they don't let, just let everybody's lives to be, be public, but everyone's a commentator. Everyone's an expert. Everyone has to have an opinion and share it. Um, and, and so it encourages more of that. But generally speaking, I still deal with casework in a more direct way. So yes, electronic communications, but they'll be mostly by emails. And, um, and I think generally speaking, that's how people will get in, in touch. But no, we, we, we talk to each other. Um, and uh, But it, I think because of social media and because of um, you know, online communications, I almost think that the old school ways of communicating, a bit of paper through a letterbox or someone standing on uh, your doorstep, that makes them even more authentic and effective. So I try and do as much of that as I ever did. Hmm. I wonder whether you, whether you think that this kind of is inevitable, that, that when you gather a bunch of sinful, flawed human beings together onto a big international platform you we, we there's nothing we can do to stop people ultimately saying horrible things to each other is this a problem of the kind of human heart or are there things that the tech companies could do to do better is this a technology problem or is it really about kind of character and and sinfulness well if you had a pub and someone came into your pub started using racist and offensive and you know just downright foul language um you you have every right to kick them out um, and so someone comes into your internet pub, um, <laughs> you own Twitter, for example, and they use offensive and unpleasant language and they're just rude to people. You know, you might be right to give them a couple of warnings, but you are not being a fascist. You are not clamping down on free speech. Say, you know, not in my gaff, mate. Off you go. Um, and so I think that, yeah, I think the internet giants absolutely do need to get a grip. <laughs> um, it's hard to police millions of people chattering at each other, all of them in time. <laughs> um, but I also think that um, for us as Christians, it is an opportunity for us to be gracious and to act differently. And I try to, and I sometimes fail. Hmm. I'm really interested in this <clears throat> at a sort of slightly more philosophical, theological level, because what you said before that, you know, when you had a problem with your girlfriend, about six people knew about it. And now millions of people know about it it's it says something there's something about being human the way we're created is that we're sort of embodied and physical and mm. that embodied physical nature actually acts a kind of limitation on what sin can do on what how far evil spreads you know if yeah. i say something really offensive to my friend you know it might go to a few people but that's about mm. it mm. But, but once you have this digital world and you, it's like there's no, it's now not limited by the body. It's yeah. entered into this digital world, which means there's no limitation. This, this could go around the world. This, yeah. you know, something offensive said could impact literally billions of people. And that's just not the way the creation was meant to be. At least that's something I'm still sort of wrestling with, trying to get my head around. What, what does that mean? What do you think about that? Well, look, I mean the world is bigger in terms of people than it's ever been and smaller than it's ever been in the sense that, you know, you can say something here and it has an impact almost in, or it may have an impact almost instantly on the other side of the world and affect 
millions of people. I think one of the other consequences is that it kind of devalues the discourse because it's there's so much of it um, that, you know, we always used to say, oh, don't worry, it'll be chip paper tomorrow about a bad headline in the newspapers. Well, it's, you know, it's like chip paper in five minutes. People have moved yeah. on to the next thing. Yeah. What that tends to do is it um, increases people's, it, it lowers people's attention threshold and it increases their uh, tolerance threshold. And so that way to get political too much, but you, an ob- observation I would make um, in Western cultures that political leaders now realise that if you can just you know, refuse to take responsibility for a bad thing you have done for a few days, it will just go away. Everyone will get outraged, fatigued, because there's something else to get excited about. And, and if you can stick that out, then you survive. And it, so I think it means it's harder for justice to get done as a consequence. Having said that, it also means it's harder to hide away. Um, and so we live much more exposed lives than we used to. And the odd thing is that Christians are often, you know, accused of being judgmental. But the reality is we live in a society which is super duper duper judgmental with no possibility of grace or redemption. Mm. Um, You know, so again, if you're outed for having said a thing or done a thing or having in the past been a thing um, that, you know, um, contradicts the kind of culture of the moment and and maybe rightly contradicts it, maybe it is a bad thing that you've done, said or thought um, or what have you. Um, But the idea that you could be redeemed or forgiven or, you know, accepted um is 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 a, is alien and then if anybody you know i would say from a liberal perspective defends your right to have been and done and said that or at least to offer the opportunity for them to have a second or third or fourth chance then you are also cast out for defending the outcast so i think that it's bizarre that a society that thinks it's irreligious is actually supremely religious and totally lacking in grace to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. I'm really interested in, in your kind of perspective as a Christian and a liberal on this question, because, I mean, you mentioned that you're quite kind of in favour of more kind of regulation, moderation from the tech companies. But what do you feel about government intervention in this area? Because um, you'll be obviously aware that the government, the Conservative government here in the UK has got an online safety bill, which has been in kind of mm. going batting around for a few years. And one of the big questions is is trying to force the tech companies to be more robust on stuff which is legal but harmful. Um, yeah. d- what's your kind of position on that, both as a Christian and as a liberal? Do you worry about that kind of overreach or do you think that's healthy in kind of curating the conversation? Well, look, I think so, so the good thing about being a liberal is that it, it's, it's, there's not a fixed position. You've just got to make sure you're always sceptical about power and people who have it, including you, if you ever have it <laughs> yourself. Um, but also let's remember that the um there there are freedoms from and there are freedoms to and um people who will often call themselves classical liberals only have half the half the story you know so i should be free to do x y and z yes 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 but a comprehensive liberal and i would say that i'm a comprehensive liberal and not a classical one um is to recognize that we also need to have freedoms from um you know the libertarian position if you like more than a classical liberal one is to say i should be able to do whatever i like and the more rounded liberal position is to say yes so long as it doesn't harm others and then you've got to then then you've got a difficult judgment to make it's easy to be a libertarian anything goes easy to be an authoritarian you know 
you do what I tell you. It's more complicated to be a liberal where you say, yeah, anything goes up until the point where it conflicts with someone else's uh, rights. And then you've got to have a real hard think about it. And it's tough having to think about it, isn't it? And so, you know, and, and it involves a judgment call and being wise, but that is what it is to be to be human. So I think the principles um, underlying the online uh, harms and online safety legislation the government is introducing are kind of right. I think that there's there's a there's no doubt. So let's be honest, we're talking about some really wildly dangerous stuff, stuff that um, encourages, promotes and gives how to when it comes to self-harm or worse. And it also means access to pornography, um, particularly for young people. And we shouldn't be squeamish about saying that pornography is deeply wrong and deeply harming. Um, it dehumanises people, doesn't matter whatever age you are. Um, and But particularly for young people, it means that you objectify whether you mean to or not. Um, the, you know, the, those people to whom you are attracted, uh, often normally, but not always the opposite sex. And you will find... Um, that you therefore inadvertently see them as being um, less than human. They're only there for you and not for having dignity in their own right. And so the, the idea that it's prudish to care about uh, pornography is for the birds. If you care about humans, you should think pornography is deeply degrading. And you may well say, oh, well, I'm, you know, as a, I'm empowered to choose to take part in pornography myself, if you are a, an actor in that. Yeah. But did you have any, did you consult the rest of humankind, mankind, womankind? Did you consult them if it was all right with them that you've objectified all of them at the same time? Don't give me this freedom baloney. Um, and, and so I think that, you know, to, to what, where does the state step in? That's a tough one. And I think at the very least we step in and say, you know, you have to protect people who are under 18 from this kind of stuff because it is deeply harming. It, uh, it affects people's mind. It affects people's relationships, affects their mental health. It degrades the rest of humanity. And, um, and it's an area where I think Christians and feminists, for example, many of whom might not be Christians, have absolute common cause. And we need to reach and establish those common cause because we believe in dignity. We believe in equality. We think exploitation is wrong and we think this stuff is harmful. Some Christians, as you'll be aware, find the whole kind of swamp of social media, you know, people attacking each other, passing around graphic images, uh, death threats is so kind of irredeemable that they just want to quit and, and kind of call, call time on the whole thing. You've obviously chosen to stay on Twitter despite all this. What, what's your position on that? Do you think that, that there's comes it could come to a point where this online world is so toxic that it's actually not wise for us as believers to, to take part? Honestly, Christian or not, you're not missing anything. If you just log off, cancel your account and, you know, just <laughs> do other things in your life, you're not missing anything. And I think that's the danger. People think that they're missing out. Mm. A small number, but I am coming across increasing small numbers of young people who just decided that's it. I, you know, I'm not going to use this anymore and going back to we'll call old, old school te texts and just that kind of, you know, more personal communications um, so I'm not saying you should all log off, but please don't, you know, don't stress about it. If you find this is just too uh, upsetting, distressing, um, taking up too much of your time, because it can become an idol, by the way, being on this all the time, you know, you can become uh, idolatrous behavior. So yeah, feel free to log off, switch off. You are missing nothing. If you're on it, let's make sure that we behave in a way which is gracious um, if people are horrible to us, it's your opportunity to be kind and gracious back to them. 
um, and some basics really you know you wouldn't drive after a glass of wine so don't tweet after one either um you know let's be let's be cautious let's be gracious um let's surprise people by being kind i am just interested <clears throat> interested where this is going because um it seems as though the the trends are even get, getting more extreme aren't they i mean tiktok is now the great new thing and and, and tiktok is is just videos and uh very short snaps is mm. it's as though this whole tendency to reduce life to these little digital snapshots and yet with a, with an enormous addictive potential um i i'm, I'm just really interested to, to try to to look forward to the to the future do you see i mean in theory it seems to me as christians we're not against technology we're not against these kind of advances but we recognize we're also not naive I mean, we recognize that there are enormous evil potential in, in this kind of technology. And, and from a spiritual point of view, you know that evil forces can can manipulate and twist and, and all the rest. Yeah. So th the, the question is, how do we redeem it? How do we how do we take this technology and pull it into a way where it really is reflecting kingdom values? It, it, it's doing something that's good, that's positive, that's beneficial. Mm -hmm. Well, I think one thing just to say, obviously, you know, the, the development of technology um, uh, is moving on, at, uh, you know, at a geometric rate, if you like. It's it's um, the, 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 the leaps and bounds that we're making is just, you know, uh, would be unimaginable to the, you know, the 20 year old me, even the 30 year old me. And and but we're also not to kind of fall into the trap of um thinking it's all going terribly 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 wrong or at least any more than any other era so you know my, the title of my book and my podcast is it's a mucky business uh politics is a mucky business um but so is everything else since the fall and so is every age since the fall and and we haven't to fall into kind of the the kind of if you like the the the, the snobbery of chronology as c.s lewis called it where we think either that everything's great today and yesterday they were all stupid and backwards or the opposite that there was a golden age and that now everything's going terribly wrong um and i think neither of those things are right as christians we need to take the culture as we find it uh, realize without wanting to be flippant that it all ends really really well god's sovereign um and and therefore we need not worry and uh, and we will be countercultural in every generation in every generation and our job is just to keep focusing upon jesus seeking to live for him seeking to be gracious seeking to use the opportunity to share his word and so yeah you know every platform in existence ever is an opportunity for evil and for good so we've got to use it for good haven't we yeah um what do you think about elon musk and twitter because um so on the one hand, you know, Twitter now is politically and in so many ways such an important part of modern life yeah. and modern democratic institutions. And yet it's basically a commercial company designed to make yeah. profit. Um, and now it's been taken over by this very eccentric, unusual yeah. uh, and vastly wealthy man. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think do you think Twitter Twitter should be nationalised? Should it be run like the BBC? Should it? I mean, or or Bobby, 
I think that would be nice, but that's not where it's good. I mean, it's a little bit like, you know, I, I, I use Twitter a bit with the analogy of it being like your local pub and the landlord wouldn't allow or shouldn't, you know, get every right to not allow uh, people to behave badly within it. Um, it's a little bit like your nice local pub being taken over by some big pub company. Uh, and you like the pub and you like the people. Um, but the but you're not sure about the management. Yeah, the beer's changing a bit. And, you know, you so there comes a point where you think, do you know what, we might go to another pub, but for the time being, we'll stay where we are. <laughs> I like that. You haven't created your Mastodon account as an escape laughing in case you have to bail on Twitter. I have a feeling my, I, I, we've certainly downloaded all my data um, just in case. But, I, I mean, you know, that he is a strange man with odd views um, is one thing. I mean, you know, but he owns it, he can do what he likes with it. And I, I suppose, yeah, so I, I, I would feel sad if it changed dramatically. Um, maybe as good an analogy as, you know, your football team being taken over by somebody horrible. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, um, and that does happen to people. You know, I, you know, to people who are Newcastle United fans, that sort of, you know, you Manchester City fans, you know, you... You all right with this then, are you? you know? <laughs> um, and, you know, they're still wearing the blue or the black and white um, tops. And, I mean, I'm a Blackburn Rovers fan and we're owned by chicken farmers who are all right, but they've got no money. We used to be owned by Jack Walker, who was everybody's favourite, you know, club owner, you know, rich and decent. You know? So that's, that's a rarity. But, yeah, it's, it's similar to that. And you've got to, you know, do you decide to walk away from it um, the time being? No. Well, there's lots more to talk about, about politics and Christianity. We've run um, out of time for this first episode, but do do come back with us next week when we're going to be resuming our chat with um, Tim Farron, um, talk about uh, more about his politics uh, and um, his politics podcast and book. Uh, but for now, thanks for listening. Um, as always, you can get in touch with us uh, by emailing molad, M-O-L-A-D, at premier.org.uk. Um, and we'll speak to you very soon next week. Bye-bye. Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable.